segment on the weird science dc comics.com podcast this week we have no comic books to talk about well actually we have a lot of comic books to talk about but none to go through and read uh so we've decided to do uh, what we do during these lull weeks for young animal and do a year in comic books uh we've done this a bunch of times now going through much of the 90s didn't we do uh one a year in the 2000s, we did 2011. We did 2011. Yeah, and we yep. even did right up to the new 52. But this time we decided to do a kind of cross promotional thing with our with our own <laughs> podcast. Uh, hopefully you guys aren't too put off by it, but we think that you'll find this interesting. And if you do, then you can go check out. Uh, we uploaded a five part series about the Comics Code Authority this week, and that's on chrisandreggie.podbean.com, or you can find us wherever you know you find podcasts. Just look up. Cosmic Treadmill or Chris and Reggie, you'll probably see our beautiful logo there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, regardless, we're going to talk about 1954. And of course, like we do, we're going to talk about the world outside of comics in that in that year. Uh, in April, Bill Haley and his comics recorded Rock Around the Clock, thus starting the rock and roll craze. April 22nd, Gen- Senator Joseph McCarthy begins hearings investigating the, the United States for Army for being soft on communism. And on July 4th, food rationing in Great Britain ends 14 years after it began. This is the end of the World War II food rationing. Crazy, right? In, in Great Britain. That's how long, you know what I mean? <laughs> they had they had to ration. I mean, the Korean War is, is almost over here. It's about to end, sure. you know, and, and they're still rationing. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Well, and speaking of World War II, we have uh, on November 3rd, the first Godzilla film premieres in Tokyo, which uh, a lot of folks are, I think it's fairly known that it was a reaction to uh, the bombing. Definitely, yeah. Um, on December 2nd, the United States Senate votes 67 to 22 to condemn uh, that man we talked about earlier, Joseph yeah. McCarthy, for <laughs> conduct that tends to bring the Senate into dishonor and disrepute. Look at that, from April and, to December, talk about a falling star right there. Yep, and and you know what? Since December of 1954, Senate's been great. That's right. Ever since then, there's no more no more disrepute anymore. No dishonor brought to the to the great house or Senate. Uh, now on December 4th, the first Boyga King opens in Miami, Florida, and uh, also this year the Boy Scouts of America desegregate on the basis of race. Yeah, well, I thought that was interesting because this is really sure. the very beginnings of the civil rights era. Uh, Absolutely. I, I think in in the next year or two is when the you know the lunch counter thing will happen. Rosa Parks is 56, I believe. I think uh, so. So yeah, it's but here's Boy Scouts of America kind of uh, leading that part of the charge. Uh, at mm-hmm. least some notable births in the year of 1954. In on January 29th, Oprah Winfrey was born. April 29th, Jerry Seinfeld, and October 10th, our hero David Lee Roth was born. <laughs> Yes. Uh, <laughs> now uh, we uh, always try to depress ourselves and everyone else by yeah. saying how inexpensive a lot of stuff was back in a, a given year. Uh, one comic book magazine, <laughs> ten cents. Yikes! 
a movie ticket. A movie ticket is actually quite expensive. <laughs> Seventy I, cents <laughs> compared to right. I thought the same thing. You know, at this time too, but you know, a movie ticket still got you probably a double feature, a newsreel, two cartoons. Stuff, cartoons you know what I mean? Yeah. You, you, really, you really spent the whole day there. You have the whole Saturday. Yeah. But you really got to think of so just just real quickly. You know, a comic book is one seventh the cost yep. of a day at the movies, and you can reread it, and in a lot of ways, these special effects depicted in the comic are going to be better than what you saw on the screen, plus it's going to be in color. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, and you can trade it and all that good stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it becomes a currency of itself in itself. Uh, nowadays, though, the average comic book is about one-third the price of a movie. <laughs> right? Am I right? Because, yeah. like, a movie I, out here in New York... What's a movie, like 12 bucks? Yeah, well, a movie here is, like, 14 bucks, and I, you okay. know, elsewhere in the country, be about 10 to 12, you know what I mean? So, yeah, it's like like a third to almost half the co- the cost of a movie in some places <laughs> and you're like is it really providing half of what a movie can give you a lot of times that's that's the question i want you to ask yourselves and we won't answer that right here <laughs> i was going to give the spoiler alert but i'll, 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 I'll i won't <laughs> um now a ga- gallon of gasoline 22 cents that's sad uh a new, yeah a new house was uh twenty thousand dollars a new car was two thousand dollars Postage stamp was three cents, but it's it's important to note that average salary then was four thousand dollars a year. So mm. that does put a lot of things in perspective. Adjusted for inflation, that's thirty-five thousand dollars a year today. A respectable amount of money, but you know, not exactly rolling in dough. So uh yeah, it was Well it's five thousand over being a millionaire, right? <laughs> Pretty much. I know, yes. I know we have a lot of thirty thousand dollar millionaires out there. Yeah, oh yeah, according to the <laughs> uh scuttlebutt on the internet. But this also besides all of this uh uh, money talk. It was an, a, a very interesting year for comics, and uh, Chris is going to tell us all about it. It was um, Seduction of the Innocent by Dr. Frederick Wortham, is published by Reinhardt and Company. Uh, a little bit about the doctor here. He was born uh, March 20th, 1895, in Munich, and here we go again. His uh, his birth name, Frederick Friedrich Ignaz Wurzheimer. Very good. Uh, he founded the uh, Lafarge Clinic in the basement of St. Philip's Church in Harlem, New York, where he worked with juveniles, and he formulated the hypothesis shown in uh, that same book, Seduction of the Innocent. Yeah, you know, one thing Chris and I, when we went through talking about Wortham, uh, you know, we were we were careful to say as many facts as we could, but to mm-hmm. show that this guy, he, he was not a huckster. He did not walk up off the street and decide to decry comics. He had yeah. worked in psychology for a long time and had helped a lot of people. And this, this story of the Lafarge Clinic, which we do go into on our podcast, uh, is pretty interesting in and of itself, but we're not going to go uh, too deep into it. it. In the seduction of the innocent, the Wortham list of the bad effects from crime comics included the comic book format is an invitation to illiteracy. He said that it creates an atmosphere of cruelty and deceit. It creates a readiness for temptation, stimulates unwholesome fantasies, suggests criminal or sexually abnormal ideas, furnishes the rationalization for them, suggests the forms a delinquent impulse may take and supply details of technique, which was a big deal, the fact that they felt mm-hmm. you could look, watch these crimes being done and then copy them, and uh, they may tip scales toward maladjustment or delinquency. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't just the crime comics that uh, the Doc had a problem with. He yeah. uh, he also was uh, going after our some of our favorite superheroes. Uh, he referred to Batman as homoerotic. Yeah. He uh, he called Superman a violent narcissist, and uh, to to uh, go over the end of the tw- uh, Trinity here, we got Wonder Woman as a lesbian sadomasochist. Yeah. Yes. He would elaborate, saying Batman is like like a wish dream of two homosexuals living together. 
Um, he said that uh, the relationship between Batman and Robin was pedophilic, but initiated by Robin. Um, now, he never went out of his way to say that Batman was gay, uh-huh. but he did say that he felt the relationship between Batman and Robin helped facilitate and embolden gay feelings. So if you were if you had, you know, a proclivity toward that, this would uh, you would see what you wanted to see in it. Basically. Yeah, there's a lot. A lot of people have said that Wortham thought that Batman and Robin were turning people gay. He He never said that. He never said that. You know, no. he said you would have to have this, uh, you know, like Chris said, a proclivity within, uh, which I think is an important distinction to make because it's not, it's not crazy. It's not talk. black. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and like you know, there is a lot of reading into this required because you know we see all the funny, wacky Silver Age pictures of Batman mm. in the rainbow costume, sure. and Batman and Robin sleeping in the same room and stuff like that. But uh, a lot of these things are different <laughs> through the prism of 2017 eyes because. If, if we're not mistaken, the uh, the rainbow wasn't, or at least wasn't widely used as oh, a uh, definitely symbol. it wasn't at all. It, yeah, no. it totally wasn't. Uh, I mean, homosexuality was an absolute total subculture in many places, if not everywhere. I know for a fact it was in New York City. Sure. I'm sure elsewhere it was illegal. Uh, yeah, you know, there's, it was it, a mental illness. It was considered a mental illness yep. for a long time in uh, in America, but through the I forgot that was the. The DRM. The DRM, right? The, uh, yeah, so. Diagnostic uh, manual, yeah. So it's, uh, you know, it, it, it was, uh, to say that this was, you know, could lead to, you know, or, or was fomenting homoeroticism, what he was basically saying was it was fomenting something illegal, you know, whether it was his personal feelings about it, we don't know, but, you know, uh, if you're. <laughs> Talking about the law, the law is the law is the law, I guess. But anyway. <laughs> and it was actually the DSM. I'm sorry. It was the Diagnostic okay. and Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders. So the okay. DSM. It was on there up until like the 70s, right? Or something like that? I think even later than that. Even later. My goodness. So, yeah. you know, and, and in England until very recently, that was still a crime was to be homosexual. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, anyway, that that's a whole other <laughs> podcast, I'm sure. <laughs> Because uh, there's still places around the world where it is. So. Absolutely, yeah, very much so. So uh, it's yep, nutty. Yeah, so you know, looking through the lens of today, a lot of this stuff seems homoerotic, but I, that wasn't, I don't think, the supposition then. I think it was seen as like, uh, you know, normal horseplay between dudes or whatever. But anyway, I don't want to look too deeply into the minds of, <laughs> of the people making those comics at the time. Uh, about Superman, Wortham said that he had a disregard for democratic processes combined with idealization of vigilantism. Compared him at the time most often to the Nazi Ubermensch. Uh, this was, I'd also mentioned by uh, Nietzsche, the uh, philosopher. He said, uh, when you go to women, you don't forget the whip. He was the one that came <laughs> up with the term Ubermensch. I thought this was interesting because talk about him. He's a disregard for democratic processes. Meanwhile, what's more American than Superman? You know what I mean? Like right? and Even the way he's <laughs> depicted now is like a total often as an american stooge you know like he would never you know but uh anyway you could also put it this way that he was kind of clobbering people pretty uh handily yeah they, uh, he didn't read him any miranda rights and you know early as people have you know know about now early in his uh golden age career he was pretty rough on criminals you know he's like throwing mm-hmm. child molesters out of windows out and windows, beating the yeah. hell out of you know uh rum runners or wife whatever beaters, so yeah. yeah wife beaters so uh yeah he was a pretty tough dude uh, there's a Wortham quote, he says, with a big S on his uniform, we should, I suppose, be thankful it is not an SS. 
and that's God winning before it was cool. And it was, Indeed. It was not an <laughs> SS. Wear them, Captain. <laughs> you son of a. Anyway. Uh, no, well, uh, Wonder Woman. Uh, he says to boys, they see Wonder Woman as a frightening image, and girls would see her as a morbid ideal. His quote was physically very foul, powerful, tortures men, has her own female following, and refers to her as the cruel phallic woman. Wow. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> now, the creator, I, I, it's William Moulton Marston, right? That's right, yep. Because I know that uh, that I, I left that out when we first did that. Oh. I stumbled over it a few times. Um, this was uh, William Moulton Marston. He lived with two women. Uh, he had a polyamorous relationship with the two of them, including having children with both. It said that he based different aspects of Wonder Woman on on each of his lovers. Uh, one of them was uh, was more mature, and one was younger. If, uh, if mm, I remember, yes, right? exactly right, yeah. And uh, Wonder Woman would hang out with uh, a group called the Holiday Girls in the comic. Uh, back in the 1930s, holiday boys or girls were slang terms for gay and lesbian uh, folks. If, if you say so. In fact, I believe, <laughs> I believe the woman he was legally married to was also a psychologist or a doctor of some kind. Really? Uh, and then they, they sort of, well, you know, it's, they had a relationship, you know, that also included a younger woman also. I don't know how you would put the hierarchy I would you know I wasn't there oh, we, don't, we don't really know exactly but basically they were all together in a, in a relationship and it seemed to work out with them for a while until the two ladies went off and did their own thing which uh <laughs> it seems seems to be a common result when, when, when women find out they don't need men they tend to ditch them pretty quickly <laughs> yeah we're just baggage yeah they were like oh wait I don't even want to even need that guy <laughs> get out of here <laughs> all, all, all those noises in that head get out of here I know forget it he's farting all the time gotta get him out of here uh anyway but you know there's been a lot of talk more recently about Wonder Woman and casting her as a, a feminist icon and pointing to William Marston's talk about a feminist paradise and things and i think that was included also in her you know her created her dna being created but it's also important to say like she also did get shackled and whipped a lot you know what i mean whether you part of it yeah i mean you know whether you think that's symbolic of feminism or not it's definitely titillating to people that like that kind of thing so it didn't uh, you know, it definitely helped sell the comics. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people people weren't people weren't necessarily buying the comics for the feminist manifesto. That's all. That's all I'm getting at. Um, anyway, so you know, this book directly, along with a bunch of other events that we do talk about in our podcast series, uh, led to the uh, United States Senate Subcommittee on Juvenile Delinquency Hearings on the comic book industry. These took place April 21st and 22nd, and then again there was another one on June 4th. Uh, these were all in New York, right? I thought one was in yeah. D.C., but look. I think back, one was in D.C., but uh, I know I know at least two of them were in New York. The first the, the first days were definitely in New York. Yeah. Uh, these were led by Senator Estes Kefauver. He was Democrat from Tennessee, born July 26, 1903, in Madisonville, Tennessee. Uh, the public hearings, like we said, were April 21, 22nd, and June 4th, and they were kind of, uh, you know. Basically, they brought in everyone from the industry. Uh, yeah. One of the most famous uh, witnesses, or I guess the people that was subpoenaed, or actually, he actually wanted to be there, was William Gaines, who, who mm-hmm. ran EC Comics at the time. And these were the guys that did Vault of Horror. And a lot of the comics that were specifically targeted by Wortham for being, you know, the most diabolical 
uh, we have a little snippet on the podcast where we you hear his testimony, but uh, it's one of the more uncomfortable things you ever had to hear in your life for, for a variety of reasons. <laughs> Very awkward. Yeah. It doesn't come off. It doesn't come off right. You know, it's funny too. That's another one where you look at it with today's lens, and what he's saying is not wrong. You know, what he's no. saying is basically these images are okay for a horror comic. Absolutely. And he's kind of saying, like, that doesn't mean, you know, the kids need little that it's for a seven year old. But I think the people at the time, they were like, a comic is a thing automatically for a seven year old. For a kid. So what, yeah, yeah. What are you talking about? Um, and, you know, remember the whole thing about the um, the distributors talking about mm-hmm. how they, they would get leaned on to carry uh, crime comics. In, in order to maintain their distribution, there was a whole like mafia angle to it that got really interesting. Yeah, uh, if you didn't if you didn't carry the crime comics, they wouldn't give you your TV guide. That was exactly one of the deals. That's right. Yep. Yeah, that was that was it. Uh, it really got it really got very deep and and uh, it was just fascinating. Uh, Chris went heavily into it and pretty much had us go through every day of the hearings, which I yep <laughs> every every testimony, every uh, line. Yep. Which I I gotta say that was the first time I had done it, and it really cast the thing in a whole different light. You know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. As as wrongheaded as you might think these politicians might be, they do appear to be earnestly yeah trying to get to the Advocating, bottom of something. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? Uh, which. Anyway, without getting into politics, <laughs> it was interesting to, to read those transcripts, and I, I do encourage everyone, I believe that's the third episode that's of the That's episode week. three, yeah. Uh, I encourage everyone to check that one out, because I'd known about this these hearings for you know practically my whole life, but I'd never gone as in-depth, and when I did, it gave me a different appreciation for them. Certainly. Now, an interim report from this committee would come in 1955, but even before that happened, there was another yes. important thing. <laughs> the uh, Comics Magazine Association of America, the CMAA, they were formed in September of this year, 1954. Yeah. Uh, now, this was suggested by EC publisher Bill Gaines. Um, it would include Harry Donenfeld, who was from D.C., which was national at the time, uh, John Goldwater from Archie, Martin Goodman, which who was from Marvel, but it was then Timely, mm-hmm. and uh, Alfred Harvey from Harvey, <laughs> among others. A couple other, but uh, these were the big guns of the time, yeah. Yeah, these were the heavy hitters on the shelves. Uh, now Dell and Gold Key come, or Dell and Gold Key were the same. Uh, yeah. Sort of the two, two of the same thing there. They declined the join the to join because they uh, their own internal code was stricter. Yeah. So they uh, this this code would have actually been lax in comparison to what they were doing in house, and also they didn't want to be uh, <laughs> they didn't want to be lumped in with these other publishers. That's right. They so, they uh, saw them as being a bunch of dirty guys. They they. Yep. Uh, alluded to them kind of being involved in some nefarious, you know, under the table type. Salacious. Yeah. I mean, but Dell and Goldkey, they were the ones putting out the Disney comics. Donald and they Duck also. And so they didn't have to. I think they were good with what they were doing. Yeah, they were even censoring their advertisers. Oh yeah. So I mean, they the, every page of that book, you know, the, there was a the little saying there was Dell Comics is good comics. Is or good. Dell Comics are good comics. I think, something like I think that. it but was uh, is, which is kind is, of like yeah. kind of ironic, but that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so they were they were very very strict. Um, yeah. Now almost immediately, the wording of the code put most of EC's line, uh, which was more than half of the comics publishers, uh, they put them out of business yeah. or at least killed their more uh, financial financially viable lines uh you know like certain words couldn't be in titles it was just words like weird was was weird and which was weird as we say but 
clearly targeted <laughs> towards because because EC had like three or four titles with Weird in the title, you know, and like there yeah. are other ones. There was a comic just called Weird, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's funny because when I hear other people, and I just I heard I listened. I must listen to a podcast where they were talking about this or, or saw something on the internet. They were talking about the code. Oh, you know what it was? It was the book I read, the Frank Miller Will Eisner book, and they're talking about the okay. code. And I've seen this before. Will Eisner says he doesn't believe the code, the original code, was worded to eliminate these other publishers and these other comics. But hmm. I, I can't see how you could feel any other way about it. <laughs> I, it's so targeted. No zombies, no werewolves, no mummy. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, you're basically, the bread and butter of all, what can we have? We can have, like, giant Kirby monsters that emerge from the under the... Uh, you know, crust of the earth or romance comics. That was really all they mm-hmm. left you with. And even those were heavily curtailed. Even romance was being targeted. Yeah. Very much, yeah. Uh, that's another thing. Again, you know, this is a cross-promotional episode, folks. We go into <laughs> great detail about every iteration of the code in episode four of that podcast. Four. And, and uh, that was huge for me also when we were doing the research on that to really get a grasp on how it, it affected the industry. And it affected the industry tremendously because mm-hmm. so so... The last the last hearing from this committee was in June. You got to think about how rapidly this is happening. Seduction, sure. of the, Seduction of the Innocent comes out, I think, in January. The hearings start in April, end in June. Three months later, by September, they've got the comics code. And then before the year is out, before 1954 is finished, in November, The Haunt of Fear, with issue 28, that was a November-December cover date, that was from EC Comics, is canceled. This is one of the biggest, this is a comic that was selling hundreds of thousands of copies per month before this, and it was canceled outright by then. And then the following month in December, The Vault of Horror was canceled by EC with issue number 40, uh, cover dated December 54, January 55, bi-monthly book. But there's another one, just you know, yeah, two right. months and two of their biggest books, yeah. gone, axed. And huge books, too. Again, like I, I, mm-hmm. you know, these were huge sellers. Another one, this was also a pretty big seller, although not nearly as big as EC, but Chamber of Tills with issue 26. This was canceled by Harvey Comics before the year is out. And these publishers went out of business, All-American Comics, Comic Media, Fiction House, Star Publications, and Youthful, all go out of business before the end of the year. And as you go into the 55 and then 56, uh, way more than half the industry vanishes. It's it's unbelievable how how much of an effect that this had on uh, comic books. But we go into great detail on our podcast. And for the last time, I invite you to come check us out on Podbean at chrisandreggie.podbean.com or look up Cosmic Treadmill on iTunes, Stitcher. Uh, What's Google Google Play? Play. Yeah, we're on Google Play now. That was uh, a great coup. And, uh, you know, you'll find us. You can always go to Chris's website, Chris's Infinite Earths. He's got a lot of uh, information over there. But I think that'll wrap us up for 1954. Mm-hmm. So let's head over back into 2017. What do you say, Chris? Let's see here. Let's see if we can weed th- weave through the uh, the, the underbrush here. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I could have sworn I saw Doom Patrol on the horizon, but it's not there anymore. Ooh, yeah, uh, it's, it's looming a lot further away. All oh, of a sudden, Lordy, you know? I need to I need some new glasses here. Uh, <laughs> the rumor hit uh, the the social media that Doom Patrol was canceled. Um, we have uh, some words here from Newsarama. They say DC Comics has informed retailers that the solicited Doom Patrol issues seven through nine have been canceled. 
And here's the uh, important part, and will be resolicited at a future date. Okay. Uh, series writer Gerard Way has posted on Instagram a clarification saying the series is, quote, alive and well, and that, quote, many more issues are planned. Uh, he also says, I've heard some chatter, but don't worry, Doom Readers. The series is alive and well. Uh, he continues, I'll be talking about Doom Patrol and the rest of the young of Young Animal all weekend at WonderCon, which is going on as we speak, I believe, right? Yeah, right now, yeah. Yeah. He says, uh, we are going to take the time and tell the best stories. And there are absolutely many more stories to come, as Nick and I have lots of plans, hashtag Doom Patrol. Oh, I was I was really hoping you would say that part. That was my, that's why I made that. Um, I was like, I'm going to make Chris say hashtag Doom Patrol. Yes. I know. I win. <laughs> uh there was a little more chatter. I didn't put it in here, but there was some talks about how Gerard Way said that because he is, he oversees every title for Young Animal. Apparently, they all pass by his desk or whatever he uses as a tabletop, uh, mm-hmm. as well as he was co-writing Cave Carson for... But now he's just the now he's just, I think I think now he just gave the story and everything else is, you know... I think the he was the idea guy and all the day-to-day yeah. is by uh, the, uh, the rest of the creative team. Yeah. But uh, it does Rivera. seem to... That's right. Uh, and it's, it seems to corroborate our feeling that Gerard Way was the holdup. That's all I want to say. <laughs> you know, he doesn't blame himself, really, but, you know, it does seem like a guy, but, um, yeah, that just, I'm just, I'm just saying. We had a feeling, and it seems he, he corroborated that over the weekend. Uh, so anyway, and on Friday, do you think he'll be, uh, do you think he'll be, do you think, do you think it'll be coming back in any, any recognizable form or do you think it's going to be sporadic at best? I wish I could answer that. You know what I mean? Well, you know, what I would like to see is if they adopted an image style, uh, I'd be okay with that on image style, you know, a publication rate where they do five or six issues regularly and then there's a, a few months off. I could live That's with what that. they do with Caper Girls and uh, a lot of things in almost, Image. Yeah, almost all those. Image Saga does that, too. Uh, I, I believe other series are now following suit at other independent publishers. And, you know, I wouldn't want to see that, obviously, for, you know, Superman or Green Lantern no. or whatever. But for a book like this, I could handle that. However, sure. if, if it's going to be two books on time, a book three months late... Another book, and then the book after on time. Then you know what I mean. Like it just gets annoying, and then you you feel like what I what I have been saying now ever since I think issue four or whatever. You just wait want for to, the trade. Just wait for the trade. There's no you know <laughs> unless you have you know collecting sickness like uh, Chris. Yeah. Uh, you, you, uh, although Chris has a trick that he collects with such frequency, he won't get to the comics till later anyway. So by the time yeah. you get to them, they will already they'll, you'll have them all. It'll be the same reading experience. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's it's a tenuous situation. And frankly, you know, there were other dates. I'm going to talk about some other dates here that gave me pause to say, you know, maybe they, you know, maybe this imprint's not going to be. As robust, we saw some numbers, some shipping numbers yeah, that weren't well, those very were, I wish we didn't see those. I know it wasn't it wasn't really giving me a lot of uh, hope for this. But so, what are your knows? thoughts on uh, on a fill-in? Would you would you be cool with them putting fill-ins in, in Doom Patrol? What do you mean, like oh, you mean like doing more one-offs and stuff? Like, I mean, I'm sure Keith Giffen's hanging around the DC offices somewhere. Uh you know, I wouldn't hate it. I mean, actually, the next issue, well, the it, issue number seven. Uh, because oh, we have All Red on six, right? That's what it is. That's what I meant. Yeah, the next one is All Red. He's doing that whole thing. Sounds great to me. You know what I mean? Sure. Uh, I think Doom Patrol. No, I actually think All Red is on 
Seven, I think that's how it is, and, and well, but seven, seven, is, seven is unsolicited. Is, uh, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think there's stuff done for a lot of these comics. They just aren't gonna make it on the dates that they said they would. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I I wouldn't mind that either. You know what I mean? I wouldn't want to see that all the time. Sure. But you know, if you want to, if you want to do, I mean, you know, I'm a fan of the short story arcs anyway. I Absolutely. hate I hate these bloated six issue these arcs every on. time. Yeah. You know, so if Doom Patrol had whatever, let's say. A three-parter and then a two-parter and a one-off, all by different artists. That's great. I'd I'd be thrilled with that. Sure. Um, You know, I'd like some cohesiveness, but give it a shot if it could get the books out on time. (laughs) Uh, But like I say, apparently the problem isn't the art; it's the (laughs) the writer. And I doubt he's gonna. I doubt he's gonna give it up. That's Uh, unfortunate. Yeah. So yeah, he said that in in March 31st uh, on this just yesterday, as we're recording this at WonderCon. Gerard Way said that issue seven of Doom Patrol would be coming in July of this year. So that's uh, that's his promise, folks. You're going to be there. Uh, Doom Patrol five came out two weeks ago, and the wonderful director's cut number one was released this past week. I did take a look at it in the comic shop. Nothing to talk about here, f- frankly. It was sketches and script. Uh, pretty much what we expected. What we expected. If, if that, if if the nuts and bolts of comic creation, it looked pretty comprehensive from looking at it in the store. And I did think about getting it, and I was like, what? I'm never gonna look at this because I never. I, I'm, uh, but I'm the kind of person I don't really care that much. You know what I mean? Hmm. Sometimes the pencils can be a lot. But sure. I really, I could never. I don't don't care about people's scripts. I'm just, you know, I'm sorry. That's no. not. I don't think that's a thing. Uh, but you know, if that's your if that's your bag and you really want to see the, the behind the scenes stuff, that comic was chock full of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, issue number six, Doom Patrol, which Way says with the easiest to write, will be released on April 19th. And then wow. that's that's what he said. Yeah. So it's it's coming soon, a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. and then uh, we'll see. And apparently, we won't see another one until July. Uh, Doom Patrol underwent a restructuring of the schedule. It said they didn't want to have a, a mishmash and wanted to keep the overall quality. The team wants to be able to guarantee dates for release. That's nice of them. Sure. Uh, so there will be a special guest, Mike Allred, penciling issue number seven in July. And the first trade comes out in June with tons of extras. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> and the other canceled titles will be resolicited shortly. Um, yeah, and he did. They went into it saying that Jamie and Molly run the imprint on a day-to-day basis with Gerard overseeing everything. It does get in the way of scripting, but he looks at everything that comes in for Young Animal, mm-hmm. and I think that just takes time. There's no flat out. There's no other way to put it. Not to mention his many other world obligations. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's tough. I hope he's not looking at Mother Panic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That might be the one he's looking at the least. Who knows? <laughs> no, we have some other news here. We have uh, Bug Adventures of a Forager number one. That will that'll debut next month, May tenth. Nice. And this is the one all 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 red. Yep. All all red all over. Um, and also we have Cave Carson as a cybernetic eye number seven will be on sale in July. So that's also getting a pause. It does seem like that. You notice yes. that? You know what I mean? Like no one's really going nuts for that. But yeah, that's another one. And. An arc did just end, so this is the time to take a little break. But uh, it's Absolutely. it's funny this was not a news item anywhere. No, no, I'm, I I I've uh, <laughs> I've still uh, been buying them from my uh, my my online retailer here. So yeah. I I think I've actually ordered up to Doom Patrol number nine. <laughs> All right, well, that's good. Just make sure you have money in your account in 2014 right. <laughs> or 2024. You know when yeah when when number seven comes out. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> now Cave will have a uh, new backup story. You know how we love those. <laughs> this is the uh, the Secret Life of Rocks, written by Mark Russell and with art by Benjamin Dewey. I'm not familiar with either name. Mark Russell is currently writing Flintstones uh, for DC. Did which he do is, Prez? I believe he did. You're right. Yes, he okay. did. He did do Prez. Uh, Benjamin Dewey, I'd never heard of him either. Apparently, he's done some work for Marvel, but they had a promotional image. And frankly, it was kind of in the same style, the same wheelhouse as Omanger's art. Uh, mm-hmm. Not exactly the same, though. But yeah, it looked like it might be, you know, sim- simpatico or whatever. Won't be, won't be jarring. So, uh, you know, that, I'm cool with that. If there's going to be a cohesive backup I want to read, that would be nice. Yes. <laughs> we'll see, though. <laughs> Interesting bit on Mother Panic that was mentioned was that Steven, Steve Orlando wanted to use Ratcatcher in his Vixen one-shot, but she, he was already being used in Mother Panic. So that guy is Ratcatcher. Spoiler alert. Look at yeah. that. But yeah, I know. That's, <laughs> that actually hasn't been revealed, but we, we've been kind of half-joking about that all along. But yeah, it is him. Uh, Gerard Way said, sometimes Steve and I get the same fixation on old weird characters, uh, which is nice. And also, this is something I know that uh, Chris is going to dust off his phonograph for. A Young Animal mm. mixtape is coming. Songs by and with Gerard Way will include a poster version of the cover and a 12-inch record with the Cave Carson songs with a new three-page story. So, cool. How about we get back to writing Doom Patrol that's, there, buddy? That's what I'm saying. It's like, as long as you're not fucking up the comics, you, can, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, <laughs> Let's get some Doom Patrol out there. I don't, want, I don't want to hear how Doom Patrol's got to be resolicited in Cave Cars not coming out in July, but we're going to get a 12-inch record with a new, you know, get out of it anyway. I wonder how long that'll take to get the quarter band. Oh, um, <laughs> now, uh, there was also hints of, uh, we, we mentioned, uh, I think either, either last week or the week before, that there was going to be sort of a crossover, or at yeah. least they were going to be more cohesive. Um, and the hints are that it's going to happen in in the, uh, the fall or the winter. Uh, the details are... <laughs> Quite nebulous. Yeah. Uh, so we uh, we really don't we really can't say a whole lot about it. Basically, at this point. what they were saying was those shards of I forget what the name of the mineral, but they talked about those like god shards in the mm-hmm. in Cave Carson that sort of like power Shamaldruk. Yeah. There's going to be something like that in Bug, but different. That was basically <laughs> that was the information. I was like, oh, okay, well, thank you. Well, that really wets my whistle. That clears it up. <laughs> yeah. So something may or may not happen, everybody, in fall or winter with the. We young promise animal. you, something may or may not happen. <laughs> that we can guarantee. But uh, that was pretty much all the big news for Young Animal from uh, the uh, WonderCon that I that we got. And that's some stuff. Some stuff. I'm definitely as we get closer, I'm getting more and more excited for Bug. Uh, yeah. And you know, and to see what's going to happen with. Uh, Issue six of Doom Patrol that apparently is coming sooner than we think. Two but, and a half weeks, yeah. Uh, next week we do have Shade the Changing Girl number seven, which is a one-off special with writer Cecil Castellucci and artist Marguerite Savage. Marguerite, mm-hmm. Marguerite Savage, Savage. Sure, one of those. She's, she 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 do the artwork. Uh, yeah, so that sounds cool. I guess this is the, again we finish an arc. This is a great time for a uh, one-off. and A little you know, break, yeah, a little breather. I, I encourage it. And the following week, at least for now, from what I could see, there was no young animal book, so we will have to come up with something else entertaining to talk about. Mm-hmm. But I think that wraps us up for this week, Chris. You got anything else for him? No, I think uh, I think that'll do us. Uh, you've already promoted the uh, <laughs> over promoted <laughs> show. Yeah, Chris oh. Chris is that the one you meant? Cosmic Treadmill. Oh, that yeah. one. Yes, that whole seven and a half hour uh, uh, yeah. podumentary on uh, the Comics Code Authority. Yeah. 
uh, yeah, definitely go check that out if you uh, are so inclined to know about it. We we worked hard on it, and I gotta say, I listened to it a, a lot of it again this week as it got uploaded, thinking I was gonna be cringing the whole time. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. I gotta say, yeah, there are things I would definitely change, but I was like, this had this was what we wanted to do, and to give all that information. It's all there, and you know, you can let us know what you thought of it, and uh, hope you enjoy it. But until next time, I want everyone to keep it young and animalistic. Oops, Scooby Dooby Lena, go gal, go Papalina, Papalina. She my gal.